Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Starting the series worth repeating as Pastor Moses, our senior pastor, shared about this idea. We're going to be spending the next few weeks, really all of this month, looking at some of the last phrases, the last things that Jesus said. And what does it mean for us to embrace that and really be intentional about the way that we actually say these phrases, think about, meditate on, and live out these phrases. Um, I've shared over the last few weeks that I have... Uh, A new role, um, in addition to father of the year, husband, uh, pastor, I'm now also a baseball coach. Uh, It's a very intense scenario, six-year-old baseball. Uh, So it is, uh, it's taught me so much uh, about myself, about life, uh, about baseball. I didn't even know things. So uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it really has been a lot of fun. But a few weeks ago, there was... This situation, it all kind of happened really quickly, um, and maybe you guys have had a scenario like this, probably not the, the exact same thing, but uh, one of, you know, it, it, there's not a coach for six-year-old, base, six-year-old baseball. Every adult is a coach for six-year-old ba- There's as many adults on the field as there are kids on the field. Like, it's just chaos. Um, and one of the dads the, uh, from the other team, he wasn't one of their actual coaches, but he was out there helping, and I don't really know why or what happened. But he had a baseball, and he went to, like, throw it to one of our kids, one of the six-year-olds that was on the field. But he didn't throw it like, oh, I'm going to toss a ball to a six-year-old. He threw it like there was scouts, like, watching him (laughs) throw a baseball. And this kid just got hit right in the chest with this baseball. And he tried to be as brave as he could. You could see he was, like, trying not to cry. But he just kind of, like, did this walk off to the side and... It was so sad, and that guy, I mean, he felt so bad. He kept coming up and apologizing and checking on him and over and over and over again, and, um, and everything was fine. He came back out and played later on, and so he was fine. But at the end of the game, that guy, he was, there's this big fence at the school, and he's on one side of the fence, and he's like, hey, hey, coach, come here. So I go over, and I'm like, man, this guy's going to apologize again. Like, he's already apologized ten times. Like, just we're, let's move on, you know. I go over because I'm kind and loving, and I go over to the fence to hear this guy's apology for being a terrible person and chucking a baseball at my kid, and I go up, and I'm like, yeah, what's going on, man? He's like, hey, um, I just have one criticism for you. Yeah. And you guys, I was taken aback, Okay. There's not many times in my life I can say, like, I was just really stunned. But I was like, huh? He's like, yeah. So when you're pitching, and he starts to give me, like, pitching advice. And I was just so confused. uh, And he was so serious. Like, it wasn't a joke. And he was just totally, you know, like, hey, I just got one critique for you. As your, you know, coach pitch these six-year-olds, here's the best way to do it, you know. And I just kind of, after he was done, I just kind of like turned and walked away. And I think Ez could see like something odd had happened. And, and we got in the car. I was like, you will never believe what this guy just said to me. 
Uh, and he was probably totally right about my pitching to six-year-olds. But there was this thing, and, and I don't know if you guys are this way. Some of you guys are very sharp, quick-witted. Uh, I can be very sarcastic, but I'm not good at, like, battling people quickly. You know, like, I don't, I'm not good at verbal sparring, like, on the spot. So for the next three days, you guys, I had so many things that I wanted to say to this guy. Uh, I was in the shower, like, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I got a critique for you, bud. No, has anybody else done that before where you just have this, like, on and on and, oh, if I just had one more do-over, it wouldn't be those poor choices I made, those bad investments. It would be that guy on the other side of that fence. Okay, so I am a Christian. I am a pastor. But we, we can't help it. We have this kind of default uh, reaction when somebody does something or says something that hurts us. We have these, these kind of default reactions of, how dare you, and I should get you back. I should make sure that you know, you know, I should, I should somehow even the score. I should be able to, whether it's hit back verbally, whether it's caused them the pain that we have caused us, we want them to learn their lesson. We want them to think twice before they treat us a certain way again. And it's really convenient because it's biblical. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it's one of these areas, you know, if you guys read through the Old Testament, books like Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there's a lot of things that we're like, well, that doesn't apply anymore. But every once in a while we find one and it's like, I hope this one still, I hope this still applies. I hope this still works. Exodus 21 is one of those that says, but if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life. A baseball in the chest for a baseball in the chest. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Thus saith the Lord. Am I right, you guys? I mean, it's like, yes, get him back on the field. Let's do this. I am right. It's biblical for me to get this person back the same way that they got me and obviously we know that just I mean nobody I'm not fooling anybody you guys know that this is not the way but but there is something inside of us that feels like there is this justice peace that we want to fight for there's this I want to get them back I want to be able to pursue this thing the reality is we don't usually carry out that vengeance or that justice we just think about it and obsess over it for days and days or weeks, some of us, myself, there's been times where I realized I've been holding on to something for years. We've been through different things, and we can talk about silly things like, you know, six-year-old baseball, but we've been through painful things. People have done things to you. People have failed you or hurt you, wounded you, people that you've trusted, people that, that had a responsibility to you and for you that somehow have let you down, and, and there's times when we carry that with us, that that sense of uh, one day I will get them back. One day I hope that they will realize the pain. One day I hope they get a taste of the way that I have been hurt or failed or let down. I hope that they feel it somehow. I think we've all felt that in some way. We obsess over it. It just eats away at us. And I think that it's one of the things that makes what Jesus said, one of these phrases that we're going to look at, he said this just hours before he died on the cross. It is shocking and beautiful, and as we are going to continue talking about through the series, it is worth repeating. It is worth us thinking about and processing and holding on to. 
Jesus had already been unfairly tried and accused and mocked and beaten and ultimately he's taken up to a hill where he's going to be crucified and I'm giving you guys just very cliff notes because we'll probably be circling around this story a lot over the next few weeks. But in Luke 22, it says this, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing the dice. Jesus had been betrayed and lied about and let down. He'd been kind of like sold down the river, falsely accused, wrongfully convicted. He was mocked and beaten and then ultimately crucified. And while he's hanging on the cross, which at this time was a torture device and it was something that was meant to not only punish a person, but also strike absolute terror in the hearts of everyone around so that they would never cross those lines. As he's hanging on this cross, he looks down at the people that both had put him on the cross, the people that were there for the entertainment of it, the people who were bartering for his clothes and his robes, and he says, Father, forgive them, which is just shocking. And it's impossible to imagine a scenario in which I could do that. I won't speak for you. It is impossible to imagine a scenario in which I would have that much compassion or grace or even just the ability to put words together in a a sentence, in a phrase. It is absolutely shocking. He prays for their forgiveness. And I do appreciate that technically Jesus doesn't say that he wants to forgive them. He prays that God will forgive them. (laughs) It's like, maybe there's a little loophole there for, I'm just kidding. Uh, There's this sense where he says, Father, forgive them. God, will you forgive them? And then he gives this reason. For they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing doing. Now, nobody was accidentally at this crucifixion putting him on the cross. They were intentionally doing these things. What he's getting at is they are unaware of what it is that is driving them to act this way, to be this way, to live this way. What story they have bought into, what lies they have believed that has caused them to take this approach in life. That's what they were unaware. That's what they were unaware of. Somehow Jesus is able to look beyond what's being done to him and see the brokenness of the people who are doing it. That's crazy. That's hard. That's the, that's the stuff that, you know, is this Jesus-y stuff that we're called to live this certain way. And we look at it and we hear it and we're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there but that's where we're called to go towards, right? That's where we're called to continue moving towards, to continue trying, to continue living in a certain way that puts us on a path to believe that we could get to that type of place, even though it feels absolutely backwards and impossible for us. This is the the kind of grace and the forgiveness that the world is starved for and Jesus displayed on that moment. 
prayer seems impossible, but he had been teaching this over and over again throughout his life. In Matthew 5, he says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. It's fascinating, right? He's been teaching this thing, and then he literally lives it out in one of the darkest, most painful moments of his life, praying for those who persecute you. It's incredible. Forgiveness and how we respond to people who mistreat us is something that Jesus talked about a lot. There's a, one of his most famous parables. I want us to look at this today because I think it just kind of correlates this phrase that Jesus utters on the cross. It's in Matthew chapter 18. A parable was a story uh, kind of, I mean, obviously in a way more better way. Jesus told stories to help people understand these spiritual truths. I tell stories to tell you guys how I'm a bad baseball coach, and I really wanted to fight this other dad. But uh, Jesus, you know, just a more Jesus-y approach is really what it is. But he told these parables. And actually in Mark, it says, I think it's Mark 4 or Mark 5, it says that Jesus was never without a story to tell. He was always telling stories to help people understand these concepts because they were difficult. It was difficult to believe, to grasp. And this parable does the same thing. It helps us see this beautiful picture. It says, Matthew 18, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned. They're okay. They're having fun, I promise. His master ordered he be sold with his wife, children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. He said, please just give me time and I will pay you back. The master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave the debt. It's not that the master just said, okay, you can have as much time as you need to pay me back. He's, he wipes this slate clear. This is an incredible story. There's two characters. It starts off with these two characters, a king and a servant. And the people in Jesus' time, when they would have heard this parable, they would have known that the king represented God and that the servant represented them. I think we kind of understand this same idea. Um, and so they kind of put themselves in the, in the place of a servant talking with this compassionate king. And the amount that this servant owed this king or this ruler was a lifetime's worth of money. There was this massive amount that he couldn't just be like, okay, let me just pay you back. I'm good for it. It was this unbearable kind of, I will never be able to achieve this type of money, not only for myself, let alone to pay someone else back. And I think that there's this kind of piece that I've been processing through as I, as I read this story about what has this guy done to owe that much money? What, what kind of decisions has he made repeatedly terrible decisions after terrible decisions and then probably tried to make some good decisions to fix it that ended up just making things worse. Has anybody ever made some of those? It's like, oh, I know how I can fix this. Oh, here's a shortcut to getting things back on track that's actually a long cut with its own problems. Decision after decision, and there is just this ability that we have to look at this guy and be like, 
what kind of idiot would make this many bad decisions in life? And when we slow down long enough, I realize I am that idiot. And it may not be millions and millions of dollars that I owe, but it is surely a road sprinkled with my mistakes behind me. A a stream of errors and problems and, and poor choices and ways that I have hurt, ways that I have caused issues for myself, for others. And it's not, you know, we don't talk about this to recognize necessarily or to make ourselves feel like these terrible people, but I think it's important that we recognize, you know, when we look at somebody and say, man, I can't believe they made that decision. It's important for us to realize we make a lot of decisions. And some of us aren't too many paychecks away or relationships away or uh, purchases away from ourselves being in really difficult and really painful places. None of us want to be the servant in the story, but I know what it is like to be way over my head. I know the desperation of having made one wrong turn after another and after another. And you, you may know that as well. Deep inside, I think we all know that there is a a brokenness, that we are bankrupt. And I think that this part of this parable illustrates two things that are so incredibly crucial to our understanding of who God is and who we are. And I think it's important that we hold on to these things, that we remember these things, because there's all kinds of other lies and myths that we believe. The first is that our debt or our brokenness is infinitely more than we can comprehend. And God's forgiveness is absolutely more, infinitely more than we could ever conceive. It is so crucial for us to hold on to these two things at the same time. It's not a woe is me, I am worthless, I'm embarrassed, I'm, sh- I'm ashamed, I don't know why God would ever choose. It's not this, let me heap coals on my shoulder type of situation. It's just an awareness of our brokenness in an honest perspective. Not minimizing and say, yeah, I've got issues, but I don't have that guy issues. I've got issues, but I don't have, you know, chuck a baseball at a six-year-old issues. It's an awareness of saying, no, I am incredibly broken. I have issues. I have problems. I have weaknesses. I have addictions. I've got tendencies. And it's important for me to acknowledge that. And I'll I'll explain why in a minute. And as, as we acknowledge that, that parallel line is as incomprehensibly broken as we are is the depth of God's forgiveness for us. There is no gap. There is no fork in the road. It is a parallel set of lines. Is, is that the right word? I mean, like side by side, train tracks, uh, you know, like, okay, great. Um, should have thought that one out. I'll get it for second service. That's why we're doing three on Easter. The second two have to be great. So this first, you know, that 7.30 a.m. service, you guys have no clue what I'm going to say, okay? So it's probably going to be the most entertaining. Our, our debt, our brokenness is more than we can comprehend, and God is infinitely more forgiving than we can conceive. And that is the good news of the gospel. But it's not the end to the story that Jesus told, and it's not the only point of it. It goes on in verse 28. It says, when the man left the king, pause, 
the man who not only had been given more time, but actually the debt had been wiped clear. When that guy left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat. Very kind. There must not have been a chain link fence between them. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm not that angry of a person, you guys. I promise. Uh, He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Sounds familiar. He pleaded this, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? This man that has a lifetime worth of debt that is forgiven, goes out and finds someone who owed him, someone who had hurt him or taken advantage of him or whatever the the scenario is in your mind. There was a wrong, but instead of forgiving, he demands payment. Not only does he not forgive the debt, but then he chokes him and has him thrown in prison. And I think that this just illustrates how quickly we forget the kindness that has been shown to us. And I think that there's this peace, and it's not, it's not like we do this consciously, but I think that somehow when we begin to accept forgiveness or forget, uh, accept compassion or accept uh, grace in our lives, somehow subconsciously I think that we start to think that we've done something to deserve the forgiveness. Like I, I pleaded in the right way, so I was forgiven. Or I promised I would never do it again, so I got grace again. Or, you know, whatever the situation is, we kind of start to, I think, subconsciously have this thought process of, well, I deserve that forgiveness because I'm really going to try hard this time. I am going to really not do that anymore. I'm going to move in a different direction. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to stop living a certain way. We, we kind of have this thought that somehow we now, we deserve it. That's why it was given to us. But these other people don't deserve it. And I think that we kind of get this really twisted reality. We, we think that God's forgiven us because of something that he sees in us. But God forgives us because of who he is, not because of who we are. It's about who God is and that he is filled with compassion and his mercies are new every morning, as the scripture says. And, and there is a well of forgiveness available to us. That's, that's who he is. It's not because of who we are. And I think sometimes the world um, has this kind of picture of God as an angry, uh, vengeful, unforgiving God. And I think that's just God's followers. I think it's just us. I think it's us who claim to represent God. And then we live in a certain way where we go out and metaphorically choke the people around us who have wronged us. The ones that we fight for justice and for things to be made right and make sure that I get mine. And, and, and it's not who God is, but I think it's oftentimes who we are. God forgives freely which brings us back to Jesus on this cross, praying 
for the forgiveness of the people that put him there. Jesus' parable is about this king and a servant, and there's some differences between the parable and what's happening with Jesus. The main takeaway of Jesus' parable is that we can summon the strength to forgive based on the fact that we know we need to be forgiven, and we have been forgiven. The more we acknowledge that we need forgiveness, the more likely we are to forgive others. The more, as Jesus said, we're aware of the plank in our own eye, the less we're likely to point out the speck in another person's eye. It's this kind of self-awareness of our own brokenness piece. In the story, the king forgave the servant after he recognized the situation and begged for mercy. But at the crucifixion, nobody really understood what they were doing. Nobody was begging for mercy or for forgiveness. And Jesus, in this moment on the cross, dares to make God's love and God's forgiveness unconditional for us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. No one can fully understand someone's emotional pain. Almost always the things that people do and say to us have less to do with us and more to do with them. Something they're going through or have gone through. You guys have heard the phrase, you know, every bully has a bully. Or hurting people hurt people. And sometimes it can sound cliche, but there's truth there. There's kids in the elementary school that my kids go to that have done really kind of nasty things and mean things. And and then you start to learn a little bit about what's going on in their life and in their home. And it doesn't make what they're doing okay, but all of a sudden... Your heart breaks for your son being treated a certain way, and it breaks for them and what they're having to go through. Um, You've maybe seen movies where there was a villain that you really knew was like, yeah, this is a bad person. And then it shows a flashback of something that happened in their life. And all of a sudden you're like, well, it's not okay that they blow up the city, but... They also shouldn't have been hurt when they were a child, you know, like, okay, it's a bad example. But there's this, there's this piece where we recognize, you know, we are aware that, that we have been hurt. And so because of that hurt, it causes us to lash out. Because we have been hurt, we have carried pain, we've been wronged, it, it causes us to act or treat others in a certain way. And it's not because we are evil in, internally, it's because there's this pain that we have to figure out how we can we can navigate through, how we can be freed and healed from. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus's words on the cross are pointing us to. When we acknowledge that those who hurt us are hurting, we can find the compassion to ask God for their healing. And I think that's the thing as we talked about the series and as I kind of came into, okay, we're talking about Father, forgive them. And it's like, we talked about forgiveness a month ago. Wes was here. He taught on forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, well, this isn't necessarily, I mean, it is about forgiveness. But this is about how we view the people who have hurt us and how we pray for those who persecute us and how we ask for hope and healing for the people that are hurting so bad that they hurt us. And it's hard. Because none of us want to imagine how difficult life is for someone who is cruel to us. None of us want to imagine how difficult the relationship might be for someone who has treated us poorly at work. Or what they might be going through. There's just this sense of, how dare they? 
Why would they? I don't deserve this. They're wrong. They're cruel. They're broken. We want to choke them and make them pay for the debt that they owe us, metaphorically, again. That's our response. And the, the call for us is to go back and remember, no, no, no. I have an immeasurable debt, a unfixable brokenness. I cannot do it on my own, that God is offering me forgiveness and healing for. And as I recognize and embrace that truth, it allows me to see it is not okay that that happened. But I, I can only begin to imagine the pain that they're experiencing, what it is that's causing them to act that way, what it is that would drive someone to do something like that. Forgiveness separates the person from what they did. The biggest thing we hold against people is how they've hurt us. But that's the very thing that Jesus is, is letting them, not letting them off the hook, he's forgiving them for. There's this recognition of there's something they don't understand why they are doing this. And I hope that they are forgiven and that they find healing. And I wonder about your situation in your life. I can only imagine that as I've been talking, there is someone that has come to mind for you. There is someone's or a situation that has come to mind. And so I wonder for you what that situation is. I have no doubt that what happened to you hurt, that it was wrong, that it shouldn't have been done. I know that there are things in my life and in my own situations over the years from when I was a kid up through being an adult. It's like, it's not okay. And as God has given me moments of clarity to see, I am not great at this. I'm not perfect at by any stretch of the imagination. But there are moments where I can begin to imagine what might cause someone to act that way. Where I can begin to imagine a scenario in which that person was so hurt or wounded or broken or twisted in some certain way that it would cause them to treat other people that way. And all of a sudden, that desire for vengeance begins to come down a bit as I recognize, man, I've been hurt too. And I get it. And I hope that there is some sort of healing. I hope there's some sort of possibility for them. Some future. One of the things I've begun saying over the last couple of years, and I don't know that I fully even know what this means, but I really personally believe that every person deserves a road back. Because I have had that. I've had a road back. And if you guys have made poor choices in your life, I'm sure you haven't. But if you have, like I have, and you've gotten to move forward from those, there is a sense of grace and gratitude and, and it is a filling experience. And at the same time, there's this, there's moments where we are aware that like, I don't know that I deserve this road. I don't know that I deserve to be on this path again. I don't know that I deserve to be moving forward, that I deserve this type of opportunity or forgiveness or grace, but that is the unconditional grace that God offers us because we don't know what it is inside of us that causes us to act these certain ways. There is a brokenness in us that God has come to heal, to forgive, 
to clear the books. That's actually what it says in Colossians 2. It says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. There's this thing inside of us that we're not even aware that's driving our choices. It says, Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's that idea again, canceling the charges against us. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is the hope that we have. And for us, the challenge for us, the the invitation for us this week is to get to a place where we can pray that God would heal the people that have hurt you. And there's sometimes we give you challenges and it's like, hey, I want you to carve out time every day this week to read your Bible. And it's like, okay, it's going to be hard, but I'll do it. And then there's sometimes there's challenges like this that feel insurmountable at times. So you start to think through some of these scenarios in your life, in your world. But this is how we're called to live. We're called to emulate the way of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are meant to be lived out. They're not just, that's a great ideal It's not reachable, so I'm not even going to try. It's like, no, this is what we're called to do. So what does it look like for us to pray that God would heal the people that have hurt or that have wronged you? That's my, my challenge for you this week. And I also cannot help but recognize that it is impossible to pray that prayer if you have not experienced the forgiveness grace and compassion of God in your own life. And so I want us to have an opportunity to pray together, and I want to give you an opportunity to experience and to receive that. So will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.